When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, good morning this morning. I hope everybody is having a wonderful day. And I got to tell you, thanks to all of you that watch our show every day, it really does mean a lot to us as we try to make this your go-to place for all things sports, pop culture, politics, opinion, you name it. I will tell you what it is not. I am America's worst trivia player last night. It's Tuesday night, so my Beautiful wife, Jared, myself, couple friends. We go to the district tap. We play trivia. And I'm absolutely no help. None. Zero. Zip. All right. You got to stay safe. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's nearing Category 5. Hurricane Ian is headed all over the southwestern corridor of Florida. Please stay safe. Here's what I have for you. 155 mile an hour winds. Now, I don't know how they come up to this. Apparently, it's category four when it is 155 miles an hour. If it goes to 157 miles an hour, then it becomes a category five. And frankly, uh, both four and five, uh, catastrophic. So please be safe. We are we're thinking about you. We really are. I, I know that you're used to this. I know you how you, you know how to get it done. I know how you, you know how to board it up. I know all those kind of stuff, but it is bearing down. And my gosh, please, please, please be safe. You know, one of the things that has happened here, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have moved their practice down to Miami, which apparently is safe from Hurricane Ian. Uh, so nice of the Miami Dolphins. But this is what you're seeing right here. This is the eye. Uh, this is the path. And you can see that, man, 4-4, four, four, and it's coming in. And whether you're in Jacksonville or Tampa, I know that the University of Florida moved their football game, uh, moved their football game to Sunday. Hopefully everything is okay. Hopefully they can play. Hopefully people just stay safe. Personally, when things like this happen, I don't give a rat's about a football game. I give a rat's about people. Um, And so if you are in that area and you are watching this, know that we are thinking about you, praying for you, and hope that everything is okay. And I mean that as sincerely as I can possibly mean. I told the story before. Lee and I were in a hurricane. She got the last flight out. I got the last car out. And I actually asked the family. I go, look, I got a car. They were going to Atlanta. I'll drive you. Let's go. And luckily for them, they were going to be on the same flight that Lee was. Uh, but you know what? It is scary, scary stuff. Uh, it was scary, scary stuff before when they were getting ready for it. Uh, the hotel we were staying at was, you know, basically saying, if you're gone, go get out. Uh, and they were boarding up and, uh, anyway, scary stuff. Hope everybody stays safe. That pays attention to us. Hope you are calling your loved ones in Florida. Hope you're communicating with them. I really do. I, I just, these things really bother me. I, I hate to see people get affected. Uh, by things like this. Here in the Midwest, we don't obviously have hurricanes, but we do have tornadoes, particularly a little bit south of here in the Bloomington, uh, Ellettsville, Mitchell area, and I I just, I hate them. So anyway, be safe. 
let's get to some sports news. Lonzo Ball, you know, people think about Lonzo Ball and they think about his dad, right? LeVar Ball and LaMelo Ball and, you know, all that. But they forget that the older brother, Lonzo Ball, was a terrific player for the Chicago Bulls. In fact, Lonzo Ball helped the Chicago Bulls get off to a great start a year ago. Well, you know, bad news for Lonzo Ball. He had knee surgery, and I think he's going to have it again today. At least that's a report. Knee surgery for Ball. He can't walk upstairs. Man, he's having soreness in his knee. Can't run, can't jump. And I don't know if you all know this or anybody pays attention to this, but the NBA season really starts today. Started yesterday with media days. That's kind of the start of the season. And then practice begins. You don't hear from NBA teams very long. But then all of a sudden, I looked on our board at my other show, and it is October 5th, first exhibition game, preseason game, whatever you want to call it. So the NBA season is here, and this guy, Lonzo, unfortunately for him and for the Bulls, can't move. Now, one thing you got to be able to do about the Bull, or with the, uh, in basketball is you got to be able to move. Let me set the show for you as we move forward. You know who has really come out of being, not defiant, just being true to herself, our friend Allison Williams. You guys have seen a delicious on this show numerous times. When we, when we got going with this show, we wanted Allison. I believe America owes Allison Williams an apology, Allison, because of what she researched, because of what she paid attention to, decided not to get a mandated vaccine at ESPN. ESPN, on the level of her immediate bosses, was fantastic. And then as it got to the corporate fellers and ladies, not so fantastic, so she gets fired. I don't know if it was fired so much as a mutual parting of the ways. She was not going to comply, and they were not going to give in. Now, Allison Williams just started her new show on The Daily Wire, and it included the great Ennis Kantner. Basically, Allison is talking to folks that stood up. She joins us at 9.30. Oh, by the way... A Doubleicious has her new job back, old job back with a new company. She is with Fox. She is on the sidelines. It's great. Fantastic. I'm so happy for her, and I'm looking forward to her to join the show. Gary Sheffield Jr., you know him. You love him. You read him. Gary Sheffield Jr., all in on the Yankees, all in on Aaron Judge, but he's been very interesting about what a country we live in, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. What a country we live in when we can worry about whether or not the Atlanta Braves' name is the Atlanta Braves. I think he's fantastic. I think he is great. I love the kid. He is joining our show at 10.30. All right. The Department of Justice has said they seized Mar-a-Lago's materials, and it is full and accurate. Donald Trump says there was stuff planted there. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't trust either. Do you? Like, if you did something wrong, or you were on the edge, right, and this is probably going to happen to all of us, certainly here at OutKick, because now all of a sudden, FBI is raiding pro-life people, arresting folks in front of their family. But if you were, if you were not trusting, you were involved in government, and you know the sleaze, hell, I'm not involved in government, and I at least can see the sleaze, but if you're the guy that's inside, is, and I'm talking about Donald Trump here, and you've had so many different things come at you from the government. Russian collusion. Remember all that? 
You wouldn't trust the government. You'd say the same thing Trump is saying. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, libertarian, agnostic, atheist, Catholic, uh, whatever. You'd say, yeah, I don't trust you all. If they came through my house, I would just assume that something was planted. These folks have been trying to get Donald Trump forever, and I don't think that's paranoia. Look, here at Don't At Me, we get, or here at Outkick, we get called, what are we called? Right-wing conspiracy theorists. I don't think it's a conspiracy when everything that they have talked about with Donald Trump has fallen through. I don't think it's necessarily... Uh, promoting conspiracies when everything that uh, Clay and the rest have said about masks, have said about vaccine, have said about Russian collusion and others, Hillary Clinton has come true. Is that conspiracy or is that just saying what's real? And is what real is what is real now become conspiracy? It's very confusing for a pea brain like me. It really is. So if I'm Donald Trump, you're damn right I think somebody has come into my house and planted stuff. Now, Trump's wacky as heck. We all know that. He's talking about he can mentally declassify things. What are you talking about? But I will say this. I don't, I, I don't blame him or anybody, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter for not trusting folks that have come at you and come at you and come at you, and now they come into your house And you don't think maybe, sort of, kind of, maybe they planted something? Are you insane? Of course you would think that, or you're just so blind to the government. So we shall see what happens. My guess is this. This is just a guess. My guess is Trump did something wrong. My guess is Trump didn't do something as egregious as they're making it out to be, and at some point some deal will be made. I don't know. But I do know this, I don't blame Donald Trump for questioning this. I would pay lawyers more money than I have to put it out there, to put it out there, to put it out there, to remind everybody how the Department of Justice and others have come at me were I Trump and remind others how all attempts have to this point failed and this to be just another attempt. That's what I would do. I think think that that's what Trump's doing. But hey, the Department of Justice says all the materials in Mar-a-Lago, full and accurate. Yeah, good for you. I mean, what are you going to say? Half-blanked and inaccurate? Hey, by the way, and I'll get to this. Did you see the mayor? Did you see the mayor of freaking New York City? He's an idiot. Did you see that? I think you already knew that. I feel like you did. If you didn't, you should. We all should. But we'll get to that in a second. And the University of Kansas basketball team, weird marriage here. Uh, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, and the University of Kansas basketball team. It's wacky. But anyway, we will get to that in a little bit. Patrick Beverly, P-Bev. Patrick Beverly, he of all-time crazy. He now says that Russell Westbrook has been his best friend since joining the Lakers. Good for these two. These two, God bless them. You know what? It's just a matter of getting to know one another. The last thing in the world that I pay attention to is these ridiculous NBA beefs. In fact, it's starting to get the last thing that I'm going to pay attention to is the NBA in general. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but who's this? Well, if you don't, If you question us, that's on you. That's Kevin Durant, the world's most unhappy human being. 
the man who's got life by the you-know-what, the short hairs, as my father used to say. And he's still the most unhappy person alive. Russell Westbrook is interesting. Russell Westbrook is a fashionista. Honest to God, throw on some clothes that are three, th- three sizes too small, three sizes too short, make them bright colors, put a scarf around it, and guess what you are? You're a fashionista in the modern NBA world. Gives me gas. Patrick Beverly, I respect. Patrick Beverly beat my backside. He was at Arkansas. Uh, I was a coach at Indiana. We had a kid named Eric Gordon. I think Eric Gordon is still in the fetal position from dealing with Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly is a real bad boy from Chicago. He's a tough dude. He's a player. I don't know what the hell Russell Westbrook is other than he really wears nice fashion. The khaki capris that he wore the other day are spectacular. (laughs) Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook are besties. Now, if we could only get LeBron and AD together, my God, we would have a wonderful team. Oh, it would be so nice. I got to tell you, and back to Durant for a second. So Durant says it's on us if he questions the Brooklyn Nets. Let me see if I understand this. This clown went out and said, hey, it's either me or the coach or the GM. We're not allowed to question that. So the GM and the owner went out, met with him. And basically, Durant said, oh, okay, I'll back. But don't question me. Of course, he's six foot ten. He puts a little round ball in a basket. Don't question him. How could you question somebody that can shoot a jump shot while trying to bring down a billion-dollar business, a.k.a. the Brooklyn Nets, which affects a city In so many ways, concession workers, waiters, waitresses, maitre d's, restaurants, the subway system. Do I need to go on bars? Yeah, but don't question him because he puts a ball in a basket. That thing is 10 feet high. Do you know what a warrior I am because I put a ball in a basket? You can't question me. I'm akin to sitting on the Iron Throne. Ah, stop it, stupid. Just shut up and play. Make eight bazillion dollars. You're six foot ten, eleven. You throw a ball in a hoop. Big deal. Some point, we should question you. Some point, your own teammates should question you. Look, I personally hope that the whole thing implodes on the Brooklyn Nets. And it's not just Durant. It's not. Steve Nash gives me gas, too. I've had enough of Steve Nash. Steve Nash has the look of a guy who thinks he's supposed to look like what an NBA coach looks like, but he doesn't really know why he's looking that way. Hey, I got to tell you, I wouldn't want to play for Steve Nash either. You crazy? I mean, I know two-time MVP, blah, 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 blah. Go play soccer. I don't blame anybody in this case. I just make fun of them. You can't question. I put a ball in a basket. Bah! Uh, Phil Mickelson removes his name from the live lawsuit against the PGA Tour. Now, I'm glad to see this. Again, I really don't care. But Phil Mickelson is starting to make a bit of a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. See, I know that song. 
Uh, Phil Mickelson is a pariah, right? We hate Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson said stuff we don't like. And if you say stuff we don't like, then we're going to make up more stuff and we're going to crucify you because you said stuff we don't like. That's the world that we live in. So Poulter, who always says stuff that people don't like, Mickelson, who says stuff that people don't like, uh, they removed, uh, a group of players removed themselves from the live lawsuit against the PGA Tour and its suspension of players who participated in the tour. All right. That's great. Who cares? I mean, the truth of the matter is, um, Mickelson said a few weeks ago that this lawsuit wasn't as important as he initially thought. All right. Now that Liv is involved, it's not necessary for me to be involved. I currently still am. I don't know what I'm going to do, really. That was Mickelson uh, a few weeks ago. He also said the only reason to stay is monetary damage, which I really don't want and I really don't need. Fine. Uh, there's a trial that is supposed to begin. Now, it's not going to begin for a long time, January 24th. So you're going to hear these millionaires bitching back and forth at one another for another couple of years. One thing that is interesting, and I hope it does happen, there is talk of uh, the Live Tour and all its money buying time on Fox to show its tour. I'd be down with that. I would. I, I'd, I'd be down. I'm good with it. Look, anything that gets me betting in front of a TV, I'm good with. And anything that shakes up the establishment of old stodgy white guys, I'm good with. I really am. I get a kick out of it. I get a kick out of millionaires. I also get a kick out of if you don't say the exact right thing in the exact right way, people crush you. See, I said about Mickelson way back when all that came out, just go about your business. Don't run, don't hide. Unless you got to straighten something out in your own life, a child problem, a wife problem, a gambling problem, whatever. I don't even know. I don't think he did. I just think he said, I got to go. Don't just got to go. Don't. Do not ever just got to go. Fight back for yourself. Fight back for what it is you believe in. And let's go. Serious business. Just keep showing up. The amount of morons uh, that you see on your television every morning have done some awful things. They show up. They do. I'm sorry, but just keep showing up. Good for Mickelson. He's back in the fold. We'll be mad about something else. And you know what? I hope they sue each other into oblivion. I do. I hope they sue each other and don't stop suing each other. Uh, Kyrie Irving. When Kyrie Irving speaks, I literally don't pay attention, except for the humor. That guy right there is really smart. That guy right there is a stone idiot, too. How are you smart and a stone idiot? Well, because hyperbolic talk gets into your brain. I am the king of hyperbola. I am. I am the king. I love me some hyperbola. So Kyrie Irving, now he needs to be a martyr. And I was all in on Kyrie Irving saying, I'm not going to get the vaccine. I am. What the hell? If that's what you want to do, do it. I didn't think it was the greatest teammate move, but I got to tell you, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, I don't know, but Kyrie Irving, you got to do it. 
If you're not going to be a martyr, what's the point in living in the public life anymore? You got to be a victim. You got to be a martyr. You got to put yourself out there as, oh my God, these people hurt me. Or, oh my God, I gave up so much. It's the, it's the Colin Kaepernick way of life. Nike will swoop in, give you a deal, and make up the $100 million. But what Kyrie Irving is saying is he gave up four years, $100 million to be unvaccinated. I gave up four years, 100 and something million, deciding to be unvaccinated, and that was the decision. Get this contract, get vaccinated or be unvaccinated, and there's a level of uncertainty of your future, whether you're going to be in this league, whether you're going to be on this team. So I had to deal with the real-life circumstance of losing my job for this decision. Irving, who is not vaccinated, obviously was forced to miss home games until late May. He opted into, this is where we feel bad for Kyrie Irving. Listen to this. This guy opted into a $36.5 million deal. Yeah, we feel bad for Kyrie. He felt the decision whether to get vaccinated was like an ultimatum from the organization. We were supposed to have all that figured out before training camp, and it didn't happen because of the status of me being unvaccinated. Uh, Sean Marks, because this thing is a complete train wreck. Sean Marks, the general manager, says there was no ultimatum. Again, it goes back, if you want people who are reliable, people who are here and accountable, all of us, staff, players, coaches, you name it, it's not giving someone an ultimatum to get a vaccine. That's a completely personal choice. And now this is what Marks has to do. Because in today's world, that's harsh language. That's harsh language. I stand by Kyrie. You don't stand by Kyrie. Look, Sean Marks, let's be honest. Let's talk real here. You're so tired of these guys. You're so tired of this blank show that you put together. You're so tired of every day, Kevin Durant. You're so tired of every day uh, waiting for it, waiting for Ben Simmons to claim how nobody helps him and blah, blah. And you're so tired of Kyrie Irving. Let's just be honest. Everybody is. There isn't a person in that organization, coach, assistant coach. uh, The only guy that isn't, maybe, maybe is the owner because the more these guys talk, the more you're in the paper. The more you're in the paper, maybe the more interest. Maybe people have forgotten that they have Kyrie and Durant on the same team. But I guarantee you, Sean Marks, you don't stand by Kyrie. That's the beauty of me being a former coach and knowing all this stuff that goes on. I can tell you what's real. There isn't one person in that organization that isn't completely and totally exhausted by bringing these guys in. I think if he wants, he made that choice. That's his choice. Okay. But there isn't one single person that if you put, and again, we always do this, gun to head. Gun to head is our way of saying, all right, what's the truth? You put everybody in that organization, every single person, other than there's always a little workout guy who's scrappy and he wants you to shot fake and move the ball around, right? Every person in that organization has had enough of these guys. You're not going to hear that on ESPN. You're not going to hear that any other. I'll bet you $10 bazillion this is the case. Every day you're like, all right, what what did these clowns say today? Oh, no, I stand by him. Oh, no, Kyrie's got, no. I mean, hey, it's a personal choice. I stand by Kyrie. Then you go in the back room. Can you believe this? Every day with these guys? Every day. We pay them $36 million. And every day, what's our return? They don't play half the game, this guy Irving. 
The other guy's always sullen, turns off the fan base. For $36 million. That's just, I'm just telling you. And it is, you always have to say this now, right? It isn't black or white. It's everybody. <laughs> God, is it everybody? I, that's not even a question. It is 1,000% everybody in that organization that is looking at people and going, hey, look, can we, can we do better than to have to listen to this every day, something stupid? And that's what it is. Every day, something stupid. Speaking of something stupid, you know I like me some smut. You know I like me some dirt. You know I like me some salacious stuff. I do. I'm not going to lie to you. I've never been porn guy. I've never been real sex guy. I have some friends that literally, they got to have sex all that. It's never really been me. I'm just like, hey, let's have a great time guy. All right? But Jim Edmonds, do you remember Jim Edmonds? Jim Edmonds, former outfielder with the Angels, really with the Cardinals. He came to the Cubs, was terrific. Jimmy E has become something of a, well, he's a little bit of a swinger. So Jimmy E decides that he, Jim Edmonds, who, by the way, his wife was on the Real Housewives of something, like Orange County, uh, I don't know, Real Housewives of something. So Jim Edmonds decides that he and his bride are going to do a threesome. Now, look, I, like Seinfeld, I'm not orgy guy. I'm not. That when they say on Seinfeld, you got to have lotions and dark lights and velvet. Yeah, I'm not. I've never been. Never been, never will be. Uh, you know, it, it's just not my thing. But Jim Edmonds is. So Jim Edmonds has a wife. He decides that he and that wife need to have a threesome. So Jim Edmonds, all right, he was married to Megan King from Real Housewives of Orange County. Well, apparently he, Jim Edmonds, and Megan King, and this woman named Courtney O'Connor decided to have a threesome. Jim Edmonds then married Courtney. Big leaguers, man. Big Leaguers got it all figured out. Good for Jim Edmonds. It's his third marriage. God bless him. Good for him. Nothing says love like a threesome. Nothing says respect like a threesome. Look, I don't dive into people's personal lives often, but God bless America. God bless America where you can have threesomes, talk about it, marry one of the three, and away you go. That's the America I need. That's the America I stand for. <laughs> you know how I say it's always the same people? And again, in Indianapolis, it, it is. I mean, the Indy Star always comes at me, and I'm sure there's, you know, people in Elwood, Indiana going, you know, it's always about dockets. Well, it's always about certain people. Jim Edmonds, if you're going Real Housewives, it's always about him and the craziness of his life. In the NBA, it's always about Kyrie. You know, it's always about certain people. It just is. So Jim Edmonds, this is about you. God bless you and Courtney. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful marriage. But if I'm Courtney and Jimbo says, hey, look across the way. What three banger going? Don't do it. Learn. 
There's a song called Then What? Then What is a country song. And it basically says this. You cheat on your wife with the girl. You marry the girl. Then what? Then what are you going to do when the new wears off and the old shines through? You ain't going to be nobody's ever going to trust. Then what? So now you're hanging with a woman that knows you're a cheat and you know she's a cheat. Then what? That's Danny D's life advice today. Don't do that stuff. Be smarter than that. America owes my next guest, Allison Williams, an apology. And there is a saying in life, good things happen to good people. Great things have happened to Allison Williams. And I personally could not be happier. She is very busy, but nice enough to take a few minutes with us to discuss not only her new venture with uh, Fox, but her show, as we've talked about on here, has dropped Daily Wire. Can't wait. A-dubs next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You know, we told you this way back that America owes Allison Williams an apology. And all you got to do is read for yourself what's going on with vaccines and women and kids. And yeah, man, I mean, it's crazy. Allison Williams was smarter than everybody because, frankly, she is smarter than everybody. And when you combine smarts with research, you have knowledge. And there you go. And now... It has all come full circle. Allison Williams' show on The Daily Wire has dropped. We're going to get into that. Allison Williams back on the sidelines with Jason Benetti and Brock Hewitt for Fox. So good things happen to good people. Has America apologized to you yet, as I demand? <laughs> they don't need to apologize. They can just go watch the show. That'll be all the apology I need. <sighs> hey, um, show dropped. Let's talk. Who was first? Yeah. So our first episode is Ennis Cantor Freedom. Uh, the second one is Nick Rolovich. And then we have Dana White and Jonathan Isaac. Um, four really, really interesting guests. I, I think if you take the time to watch the show and listen to their stories, um, you'll see they are incredibly different people with incredibly different backgrounds, um, different religions and different upbringings. But there's a, there's a core theme there. And that is doing what you believe in having conviction and, and pissing some people off along the way and realizing that's going to be the case. And at times putting yourself um, at risk financially, putting your reputation, your career at risk, but they all, they all took those stands. They all took those risks on and said, no, this is what I need to do to be too true to my beliefs and to be authentic and to do what I believe is right. And so I'm going to do it and everybody else be damned. And um, I learned so much from each one of them. And I hope other people will too, because I think there's there's something to be said in these days when people are willing to um, to rise up and do what they believe in, despite what people around them are saying. Before I get into, we had Ennis uh, Freedom on yesterday on our show, okay. and before I get into all that, I want to wh where can people find it? Yes, so it's on the Daily Wire, so you can download their app or go online and subscribe. It is. Um, behind what I guess like they call it a paywall. So you do need a Daily Wire Plus, a uh, Daily Wire subscription, which, um, so be aware of that. But you can download the app, you can go online, um, and it's right there. It's called Breakaways with Allison Williams. Uh, and there's also a episode zero on there, which is kind of a look at my story and how I ended up at the Daily Wire and kind of getting people up to speed on, on what happened on my end. 
and how we kind of came to this point. And then there's those four interviews and there will be four more. So this is part one of a two part series. When, when you talk, like I talked to uh, Ennis Freedom yesterday and obviously he's really impressive. Um, mm -hmm. He lost or he feels like he got blackballed almost immediately, like the next day, damn near from the Boston Celtics. And I don't think there's any love lost between, well, I don't think he feels terrible about what's happening to the Celtics coach right now. Let's put it that way. Yes, I'm sure he doesn't have a lot of sympathy for uh, for that whole situation with the organization. And look, there's people, you know, that have reached out and said, oh, he's not playing because he wasn't any good and yada, yada, his career was over anyway. I'm sorry, when you have that kind of size and you're 29 years old, you're going to end up somewhere. You're going to be on a bench somewhere. Um, it's very telling that he played that entire preseason. And then once the regular season start and he wore his free Tibet shoes, he was benched. He didn't play at all that game. Next thing you know, they ship him to Houston and he gets cut. So the timing is undeniable. You can argue until you're blue in the face about whether or not he's good enough to still play in the league. Fine. Um, but you can't deny the timing of it. And it's a pretty odd coincidence if the two aren't related. And it's fascinating um, because he outlines the, the hypocrisy of the NBA so eloquently. And I think that's what really is bothersome because when it came to Black Lives Matter, they were the first organization to stand up for social injustice and encourage this from their athletes and put it on their court and put it on the t-shirts and, and bring it forefront and center into sports. When he spoke out against Turkey and the dictatorship there, he had complete support of the league. But as soon as he did something that could jeopardize them financially, that's when it got shut down. And it is insane when you consider how quickly um, China pulled the plug and it makes you, you know, kind of realize the control they have there and the media, um, the control they have of the media there and the way, as he points out, these American countries are being controlled by by China. And he says it perfectly. He's like, China can't infiltrate the U.S. from the outside in, but they can from the inside out. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of American companies. And he's he's on a mission to expose that and expose human rights atrocities everywhere. He's speaking out now against what's going on in Iran. And um, he is, he's a brave soul. He's risked a lot. He hasn't seen his family in years. He's lost millions. Um, he's not going to play in the NBA again. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. We'll see, but I, I don't think there's any way uh, Adam Silver and the NBA or any GM, you know, allows him to play again. So he's risked a ton and he's done it because he believes that, uh, that these issues are that important. And I agree with him. Do you, do you, do you find a common thread between yourself and all the people that you have uh, uh, you've interviewed for your show? Is there is there a common thread about why all of you stood up in the face of consequence, real consequence? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question, because with each one of them, they said something that like provoked something inside of me that I thought, yes. That is why. Um, and it's hard to, to strike at what it is. For a bit, especially after I sat down with Jonathan Isaac, I thought maybe it's faith, even though we're all different religions. I mean, you've got Nick Rolovich, who's Catholic, and Ennis is Muslim, um, Jonathan's Christian, and then you've got you know Dana White, who's an atheist. And so, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe it isn't, isn't faith. Um, but I think it is something along those lines. And it's, this, it's this notion of holding yourself to... Um, a higher, a higher ideal, um, a higher power, if you will, for some. And I think it is having a, a resolve 
and a while there is fear, there is there's confidence. And you know, Jonathan and I talk about this where you can't have you can't have fear and faith at the same time. Like one of them is gonna win out. And when there's a lack of faith, that's when fear festers. Because that was what I was noticing in my experience going through the COVID stuff, is the people who really were gripped by the fear narrative didn't often have faith. And I thought that was so interesting, especially looking at my own family and how you know, my older parents and aunts and uncles were responding to this and they just weren't letting this fear narrative take hold. So I I saw this common theme of faith, but I think at the end of the day, it's a resolve to truly do what is right, um, even at personal expense. And, And that was what struck me with each one of these men, again, because they were so different, but there was a common, a common theme of resolve when it came to the decisions they made. This surprises a lot of people, but every morning I read the Bible, and one of the things in the Bible it basically says is fear nothing. You know, basically Mm -hmm. have, I'm I'm paraphrasing here because I'm not great at the quotes. Like, I'm never good at, hey, this was John chapter 5, verse 8. I'm not, you know, I just, I just read, it says, you know, fear nothing, pray for everything. And your faith had to be tested, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you had to look at it at some point and go, wait a second here. Like, I don't know if you ever looked at it, like, did I do the right thing? But your faith that yeah. things would work out, and they certainly have, right? Oh, all of that, 100%. Um, I don't think I could have arrived at the decision I did if I didn't have faith. Um, I can remember going on a walk. Um, and I hung up the phone with my sister and I was just by myself and my son on a walk. And, um, there was, there's this voice, right. That speaks to you. And whether you want to call that God or, or whatever it is in your, you know, your vernacular, those are words, but it's a feeling. And, um, I knew I, I had to trust it and, and it's intuition. It's all those things, right. Um, we're spiritual beings and there was, there was a, a guiding principle of faith. And I had to kind of give up control and just like hand it over to God and say, I know, I don't know your plan, but I trust that you have one. And I trust it with all my heart. And if I didn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do, to do, to walk away from what I did. Um, because it, it was a scary spot to be in. And, uh, no, I, 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 there's no question to me that if I didn't have faith, I wouldn't have the strength to, to do what I did. And I will say too, like, listening to Jonathan Isaac, who has dealt with um, depression and anxiety, and then hearing him and how his faith guided him through that. And I thought to myself, how many people do we see have everything? And they're so successful, right? And they have all this money. And the next thing you know, you find out that they're battling depression, they've committed suicide, um, they're on medication. And I wonder, you know, so many times we substitute success for all that matters. And that's this like purpose we serve is, is to make more money. And I think like, man, if, if those people had faith, whatever that looks like, but this belief in something bigger than them and serving something bigger than them, how different would their lives be? Because that is what completely changed, you know, his mental struggles for him. Um, and it's something that Nick Rolovich relied on as, as he was going through um, his ordeal with Washington state, you know, and, and it's the first time we hear from him. So I hope people will take the time um to really listen to these interviews because I think there's a different element that you're going to see in each one of these men than other interviews they do. And I I hope that's a bit of humanity 
because we attach labels to people so quickly now. And we've done that with each one of my guests. And I think we do that as a way to dismiss ideas that make us feel uncomfortable or that don't align with our own. And I hope that if people will really take the time to sit down and listen to these men, they can completely disagree with them, but I hope they see their humanity. And I think that's something that that we need to get back to and connecting with people as humans and having more empathy for one another. You know, um, empathy is interesting because it is in short supply. It's talked about and people mm -hmm. always talk about religion. Now, I think religion is more discussed now than it ever has been. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I heard this. Yeah, I heard that. But the one thing that you just said in that, um, I think it's hard for people, I think it's easy for people to say, hey, look, I have faith or I read the Bible or whatever it is. But I think what you said, you said all my heart, I have faith with all my heart. I think that is really difficult for people because it feels like human nature, there's another little voice back there too that says, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but you better do for yourself. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? The all my heart thing is a difficult concept. It's for me, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, it's hard for me to do that. Mm -hmm. It is. And I think it's something um, you have to continuously make a conscious effort to to be that way. And, and it's hard. And you're right. It's challenging. And I think there is um, there's different obstacles in our life that make that hard. And, and it's not always something like we're comfortable talking about either, even though, you, you know, you say we talk about it more. And I think we're seeing that a little bit more. But it's also an uncomfortable conversation to have sometimes with people and you don't want to offend anybody. And it was like, always like religion and politics, don't bring them to the dinner table. Right. But I think in the process, we've lost um, we've lost a lot as a country when we deny the role that religion had in, in the founding of this country and why we broke away from Great Britain and so forth. So I think there I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, but, yes, I, I, I believe it is hard to truly hold it within your heart and to like let it guide you through the difficult times. Um, but I think it's something we have to start talking about even more because um, I think it could save a lot of people. And I don't mean that in like, oh, you're, I'm safe, but I just think it could alleviate um, the stress and the, the hardships that a lot of people feel and this burden that they feel when you kind of just hand it over to God it makes it a lot easier <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> It does. No, it, it, it does. And I think that, um, you know, people do talk about it, but I don't know if they talk real about it. I almost think it's like a right. facade where, hey, look, um, I'm going to switch gears on you because you were at the Oklahoma-Kansas game, Kansas State game. And I got to tell you, I've watched Adrian Martinez play football for a lot of years at Nebraska. That wasn't the same Adrian Martinez. No, it wasn't. And it was awesome to see for him. I mean, I, I remember I had one of his very first games. It was kind of technically his first game at Nebraska. And I remember thinking how young and, but mature he was for an 18 year old. And then, you know, you see him go through his struggles and his ups and downs and the turnovers and the interceptions. It was tough. I mean, it was a, a tough ride during his tenure at Nebraska and he would be the first to admit that. And there was some scar tissue there, I think built up. And you saw that in how he played the first few weeks for Kansas state. He played scared. He was afraid to make a mistake. He was afraid to, to fumble the ball. He was afraid to throw an interception and that all that would come, you know, creeping back and bubbling back up from Nebraska that plagued him. And all week, his coaches just begged him, like, just go be you. Let the machine work. 
let it rip, like stop, stop worrying, stop playing scared. And, and Brock cured so big on that. Like you cannot play that position scared. And he didn't, and he just aired it out and he ran it early. And I think he took some contact and it got him. you know, it's funny, like coaches talk about, Oh, you get him some easy screen passes and get him into a rhythm early as a quarterback. Like sometimes you just need to go get hit too. some of these guys. And I think that that was the case with him. He was feeling it from start to finish. And, um, Deuce Vaughn, by the way, I don't think there's a more oh. fun player just to watch. Like if you want to ISO him the entire game, he is so freaking fun to watch. He's listed at five, six, he might be five, five. And he just takes on contact. He, he makes his size, his advantage. He's so shifty and he like ducks and dives behind the offensive line. I, I went and just camped out in the end zone for a little bit because that perspective, you can see what he sees and how they don't see him hiding behind these big guys. It was awesome. And then when he doesn't have the ball, he's so good uh, picking up blitzes and in pass protection. And you just see these linebackers coming at him that have like, you know, six inches and 50 pounds on him, And he totally meets them at the point of contact. So um, between him and Adrian Martinez, they were just phenomenal. I thought their offensive coordinator, Colin Klein, is really young. I mean, first year Colin plays, he, he called a tremendous game, just a really, really smart game. And you give him credit because, you know, he's going up against some smart minds on the other side that have been doing it a long time. Uh, but that was a big win for them, for them on the road, especially coming off the two lane loss. And um, Oklahoma's going to have to go back to the drawing board a little bit. But I think I think the Big 12 is going to be interesting to watch this year because, uh, I mean, it's anybody's race at this point. Right. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how that conference plays out. You, you report, you host, you all these things. Let me, let, me, let me go to Oklahoma or any team because it's going to be either Ohio State or Michigan. Every, you know, you're going to have one loss. Moving yeah. forward, you know, Alabama, Georgia, somebody's probably going to have one loss, right? I mean, it, 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 feels like, uh, it feels like that game may have eliminated Oklahoma. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not sure because I don't know – is there anybody in the Big 12 that that can bump their stock up? Does yeah, that I mean, make sense? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, I don't. I would disagree. I don't think it has. I mean, they still. I know Texas has a couple losses, but they have them. Um, and Oklahoma State. I mean, that could be. I think if they win out, there's going to be enough to elevate because somebody's got to be that fourth team, right? And to me, that that is going to be the the um, theme throughout the season is who's going to be four because. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Like, that's that's the top three. I don't think there is any way around that. And, yes, they may pick up – I mean, you know, Georgia or Alabama is probably going to pick up a loss. They're still going to be in the top four. Um, Ohio State, I, I, to me, even though I understand Michigan's right there again, um, talent-wise, and who knows in that game because it's the rivalry game and it's the end of the season, yeah, one of them will have a loss. Um, but those those three, to me, are the top three. And then it's kind of everybody else for that fourth spot. Um, so yes, I think if Oklahoma can win out, it's Oklahoma. Like they win the big 12, they're going to be right there in the conversation. Um, so it'll be interesting because again, it's kind of up for grabs right now. And that's what I think Oklahoma has to kind of refocus on, right? Like, yeah, you lose your first game to start big 12 season, but it's also right in front of you and, and their schedule will give them opportunities to, to work their way back up in the rankings. I'm looking at USC. I think USC's yeah. in there. 
That would be awesome. I'm actually there next weekend. They've got Washington State. Um, and and that would be fascinating. Obviously, I think college football is better when USC is good and in the conversation, right? So that would be fun. But I mean, if Lincoln Riley can do that in year one, and I think too, what we're seeing is not just the impact of the transfer portal, but it's going to be really interesting to watch the success of teams whose quarterbacks follow the coach, right? So a Caleb Williams at USC or a Bo Nix at Oregon, um, versus an Adrian Martinez who didn't really have ties to any of the staff there at Kansas State. But as the season goes on, these guys that are transferring, um, but transferring to play for a coordinator or coach that they played for at their previous spot and what kind of success do they have? Uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting trend to follow because obviously the transfers are changing everything when it comes to how quickly you can turn a program around. And if USC continues to have success, that'll be a great, great example of that. Yeah. I like, I like the colors. I don't know. I, <laughs> I think when they're on TV, the colors I like when USC, there are some teams when they're on <laughs> that red and gold, like my, yeah, my wife always says I, I, I can be talking to her and all of a sudden I see something. I go, oh, shiny, shiny, shiny <laughs> over there, you know? Squirrel. <laughs> I, I think they show up well on TV. I do. And, it, and it, it, you know, to me, that's a, that's a little bit. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Yeah. Oklahoma and Texas basketball, when they are on TV, I don't find myself watching, not because they're not really good. They are. But the look of the gym, I, I don't know why. I, I swear to Ooh. God, I don't know why. But the look of the gym just kind of like, eh, it's going to be dull. But when I see USC play football, I swear to God, I'm like, all right, this is going to be really good. And it's be, it's just, Allison, there's something about how you show up on TV. <laughs> I honestly believe it. I no, I mean, there. I, I can, we are, look, we are visual creatures. Um, so I could see that there's something to be said for that. And there is a way like their colors kind of pop with the green of the field. I can, I can see what you mean. I feel that way. And, and it's not cause I'm from there. I feel like Michigan's a little bit like that too. And maybe it's like that gold. I don't know. Like there's something about the maize and blue when you see it with the green, you're like, Oh, this is, this is football. But I also don't know if that's just because like, that's what our brain associates with good football or a good game because they played so many of them throughout the years. Um, but yeah, That's part I, I, see, of it. I see what you're saying. Like they kind of pop. Yeah. All right. Like when I, all right. When I see Michigan play football and I see that crowd, right. You know, right down there, mm -hmm. it, it looks good to me. And I'll watch Michigan, Maryland. And I, you know, I, I got nothing for Michigan. I got nothing for Maryland, but it looks good. When I see Indiana basketball, Assembly Hall looks good. When I see Indiana football, yeah. you know, first half there's 20 people in there, second half there's 10. It doesn't, you know, I'm telling you. It it your game the other day, and, and this is something that I did not expect. Your game the other day, I'm watching, and I got nothing for Oklahoma or Kansas State. In fact, I think uh Kansas State's uniforms are dull, ugly, and should be banned from college football. So but the game was so cool because of Adrian Martinez and how the fans at Oklahoma Stadium were like, bam. They and it are. kept me watching. And then you're watching. Yeah, it, it just looked good. Let's put it that way. Just looked good. That was my first game there. And I hit my producer. I'm like, look, put, put me in my place and tell me if I'm wrong here. I'm like, so the sidelines are so close. Like you can barely, you cannot walk behind the Oklahoma bench. They're, they're literally like their stuff is pushed to the wall and their fans are right there. 
but the Kansas state side, there's probably only about like 18 inches to walk behind their bench and where the fans are. And there's direct conversations going on. I mean, it is a, a testament of your focus and like your ability to block stuff out because these fans are letting them hear it the whole time. And I hit my producer on it. I was like, look, I don't, I've never done a game here. So if this is done every time or whatever, let me know. I'm like, but this is insane how close they are, how much they can hear them. And what I noticed was after they went for it on that fourth down and then scored, it changed the volume in the stadium, but it, it quieted the direct chirping and gave them a break a little bit right behind the bench. I thought that was so interesting because I'd never seen that impact um, of, of scoring and changing the momentum of the game. And so we, we weave that into the broadcast, but you're right. Oklahoma is so different because the fans are right on top of you. And now they have this like crazy light show and the lights go out before the fourth quarter and um, they've got all these new, you know, fancy toys as they make their way to the SEC. It's a cool place to, to, to a game, to do a game. It really like it lived up to the hype. Um, and I walked away thinking like that was fun. I, I swear to God, Allison, my first game at Indiana on the road was at Kentucky. And I'm sitting on the Jeez. bench, games going on. And th this made me appreciate fans being close. Some lady is calling Coach Knight every name in the book. I mean, she's dropping the big ones, the mother blankers. She is, <laughs> man. She's unloading on my boy, and I'm just a pimply-faced freshman, and I look over my shoulder, and there's this, there's this woman, and Allison, she is dressed. Like, she is not some student. She's dressed like, you know, like holding fancy? a drink in her hand. And, yeah, she was like, I, I like guess a classy you lady, the first row, you MF and Bob Knight. <laughs> oh, man. And I swear to God, from that point on, I've always paid attention to where fans are relative to the seats. And you guys mm -hmm. did a great job because at one point on that game, you guys did a great job. And these dudes are like leaning over from like me to the camera, right? And they're dropping it on. That was freaking oh, yeah. awesome to me. Nonstop, think, yeah. too. And even on the other side, it was Nonstop. funny because – yeah. Oh, and I thought it was funny because on the other side, you know, they're, they're behind their own fans. So that's good when it's going well. But, you know, like there's this lady screaming by the defense. Why is he so hard to tackle about to spawn? Right. Because he's so little like this ladies in the front row, like just yelling at like, why can you not just tackle this guy? Um, so it, it's funny. The conversations that, you know, like, you know, the players are hearing that. They do respond now and then they try not to. And their coaches are like constantly trying to reel them back in, which I think is another, um, if you're going to go play at Oklahoma, you have to kind of address that. I think with your team, like, look, you're going to hear it from the fans directly. They're going to call you by name. They're going to call you by number. They'll probably know your girlfriend's name and do some research and all that. Um, how do you handle it? And how do you not let it get into your head? And the best way to handle it is to handle your business on the field. And it shuts them up real quick. Yeah, there's nothing. I always said there's nothing like the sound of silence when you walk out of a, of a as a visitor. When you walk right. out of a you know a stadium or a field, the, the sound of silence is deafening, and it's freaking awesome. Last thing before I let you go, uh, people can go right now and get the first episode right with uh, with Ennis yeah. Freedom. They can get all four. They're all available awesome. right now um, on Daily Wire, Daily Wire Plus, the app, um, or you can just go online. And, and we talk a lot about, you know, I appreciate the messages of support. I appreciate everybody that's reached out. Um, and I, I would appreciate the support on this because I think we are at a point where um, our time and our money are our votes. And uh, if you believe in kind of what we've been about, like on this show and what we've talked about and all that, 
um, and you feel compelled to show it and hopefully watch some really entertaining and compelling interviews, I hope they'll they'll join Daily Wire because there is actually some really good content on there. I'm, I'm not just saying that. Um, mine, of course, the top of the list, but there's some other good stuff there too that I think will make, make it worth well, your while. You're a, you're a great interview and you've got great subjects and you've got a great topic. So it all, you know, it all works out pretty well. Hey dubs, have a great rest of your day. I know it's early there and you're going to be chasing children. So good luck. Have a wonderful thank day. Thank you. Thank you for giving me some adult time in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> America owes her an apology. Don't even talk to me. Don't at me about it. America owes that woman an apology. You all were jackasses to her and I'm not having it. I'm just saying, man, Allison Williams is fantastic. And you know what? At Allison W underscore sports. You see her on sidelines. You can watch, or watch her shows at the Daily Wire, and you're going to really like it. America does owe her an apology. Now, look, here's the deal. I need everybody out here to retweet our stuff right now. Let's reset the whole show. Numbers are low. We need to retweet it. Let's go. All right? I'm not messing around here. You're getting great content every day. And this next content, you're not going to believe some of the stupid stuff that's going on in our country. So I'm going to give you What the Hell Wednesday. It includes beautiful pictures of the Santa Clara cross-country team. I love NFL Twitter talking a little yang to one another. It is a Wednesday. Hump day! We're getting ready for football tomorrow, but I got What the Hell Wednesday coming up. Gary Sheffield Jr. joins as well. Stay right here. Let's go. Retweet it. Sean Black, get it on the Twitter. Let's go. Retweet the show. Let's go. It's time. Be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, Ryan Mueller, Sean Black, thanks for doing that. Thanks for doing that, Robert Shelby. Yeah, that's right. We give you great content every morning with great interviews, so help us out here. It's a lot of fun, too, by the way. By the way, NFL football, 9.30 starting. What a, what a day Sunday's going to be, right? I mean, you got 9.30 football. Well, I'll have the Colts at 1 o'clock. Then you got a 4.30 game. Then you got a night game. I'm going to weigh 752 pounds. We have idiots among us. We do. We have children leading us. We have disrespectful children leading us. And one of those disrespectful children is a man named Eric Adams. Eric Adams is the governor. No, he's not. He's the mayor of New York City. He's a child. I mean, let's be honest. So here is the mayor of New York City talking about the, quote, brand of New York City. We have a brand. New York has a brand. And when people see it, it means something. You know, when we go there, it's not, a, Kansas doesn't have a brand. When you go there, yo, okay, you from Kansas. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> but New York has a brand. Yeah, just children. That's like a high school kid talking about another team. I mean, it's the world that we live in. We, we elect fools. We elect children. We elect guys that are so dumb that they don't know how to get up and be a decent human being towards others. So the University of Kansas basketball team, they responded in kind. Here's what they had to say about a brand. There it is. 
There's all the national championships, although the one in 22 and 23, I think you're stretching it because the NCAA tournament didn't start till uh, 1940, I believe, or 1939. But hey, there it is. Pretty good brand. Like, here's New York City's brand. Yesterday, I'm looking, and there are two guys on the back of a moped shooting people in the streets. On the back of a moped, like it's the Wild West. That's New York City's brand. That's Eric Adams' brand. How many videos do we have to see of unprovoked attacks on the subway? That's New York City's brand. Under this clown, New York City's crime has risen over 78% over. Now, it may today be at 130%. I don't know. People are fleeing in droves. I get that the Biden administration doesn't want you living in cities. I get that they are making it difficult because they are taking two-lane roads, making them one-lane road, putting a bike in. They don't want you driving cars. They want to change the way that we all live. Good for them. But Eric Adams has been a complete and utter disaster. And now he's a disaster as a speaker and as a human being. Not surprised. I'm just not. If you told me any politician and you said, hey, uh, Jimmy is an idiot, I'd say I would agree. Our guy here in Indianapolis, we don't know where he is, Mayor Hogsett. Mayor Hogsett, a lot of rumors where he was when we had riots here in Indianapolis that we still haven't recovered from. But Mayor Hogsett is the same guy as Eric Adams. We have children. We have career politicians. We have children. And Eric Adams got all excited about his own little joke. Well, I got to tell you, I've been to Kansas. I've been to Kansas a bunch. Safe streets. Good economy. Not much crime. Friendly people. Pretty good brand. High crime. A lot of prostitution. A lot of going backwards, New York City. Businesses escaping, people escaping, trash all over the streets. Yeah, good for you, Eric. You and your buddy. <laughs> There's always a dude, man. There's always a guy on the side who just signifies, right? <laughs> can we play that again? If we can play that again, watch the clown to our right, Adams' is left. There's always this guy. This guy's the guy that, you know, he's the hanger-on guy. He's the guy that, hey, man, go get me a coffee. And then about every six months, he stands up to the mayor, and the mayor's got to be nice to him. So let's see who this guy. We have a brand. Watch New York has a brand. To his left. And when get people see done. it. That guy's a genius. It means something. You know, when we go there, it's not. Uh, a, yeah. Kansas doesn't yeah. have a brand. Watch the guy <laughs> to his left. <laughs> There he is, always putting his head oh, up. Oh, when you go there, yo, okay, you oh, from Kansas. I can't take it. Oh, look around. <laughs> no. Oh, I got to hey, well, oh, you know <laughs> But New York has oh, a... Oh, you crazy. Yeah, all right. There's always a guy like that, man. There's always a dude. I remember when Shaq, Shaq had that dude. He's a little white guy about this tall when we were filming Blue Trips. There's always a dude like that guy. Hey, man, I need my backside wiped. That's the guy, the guy on the left. Hey, man, I need, uh, you got a snot rag for me? Yeah, 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 there he is. That's the guy that does it. Hey, man, you're going to stand here and you're going to hold a file. Look like you're important. That's the guy, the guy that Adams is left. There's always a guy like that. Adams is what Adams is. He got caught up in his own stupidity. You can tell he was really impressed with himself. Good for him. But there's always a guy, man. Always a guy standing there. 
Next time you go to an NBA game, watch the little shaved-headed white guy with a gold chain around and a white shirt. And if somebody dunks, oh! Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks has made a lot of movies. Tom Hanks has made more movies than maybe anybody, more good movies than maybe anybody. But Tom Hanks does not think so. What the hell? Tom Hanks says, you know what? Who knows how a movie is made, though everyone thinks they do. I've made a ton of movies. Four of them are pretty good, I think. And I'm still amazed how films come together. I'm looking at Tom Hanks, and I'm thinking I've aged better than him. Like, I don't like my eyes right now. My eyebrows need work, and maybe I need a kind of a beard to offset the bald. But I'm, you know, at 60 years old, I think I don't look a day over 58. The neck is the important thing. That's a good neck right there. But anyway, do we have a list of Tom Hanks movies? And you can pick out which four you like. Forrest Gump's got to be in there. I always liked Big. I thought The Green Mile was really good. Saving Private Ryan, fantastic. Sully was good. I mean, what movie in here is no good? Big was good. Castaway, fantastic. Who doesn't think about Castaway once in a while? Who doesn't think about what would I do if I were stranded on an island? Man, if I was stranded on an island with Kate Upton, you know. (laughs) Stop it, stupid. I thought Castaway gave a kind of, I don't know if you can do it, kind of a real look like at what it would really be. Like your teeth got to get pulled out. Where are you getting drinking water? I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. I like Tom Hanks movies. Captain Phillips was good. Splash, while if I watched it now, I wouldn't like back in the day. Who didn't have a crush on Daryl Hannah as a mermaid? I, I Raise your hand. I know I did. Are you kidding me? Philadelphia, outstanding movie. I give Tom Hanks credit. Like Tom Hanks, if you don't remember this, and Rita Wilson were the first ones. They kind of got the whole COVID ball rolling. They announced that they had it. I think they were down in Australia. And I'll give Tom Hanks more credit because Tom Hanks – said that he, ladies and gentlemen, only made four good movies. I think he's wrong. I think he's being humble. I think that he's made a bunch of good movies. So Tom Hanks, thanks for being humble. Tom Hanks, thanks for doing what you do. Tom Hanks, keep cranking them out, because I like them. I do. I do. What can I tell you? All right. I don't know where this is coming from, but I got to, man, I just bought $800 in hotels. Seriously. I just somehow, someway, on my credit card, bought $800 in hotels. I'm just sitting here doing a show. Notification, Capital One, I'm not going to show it to you. But it just said I bought $793.31 in hotels. Where the hell am I going? Hey, retweet this. I need this job for a little longer, will you? Man, oh, man. All right. Santa Clara's cross-country team did something I kind of dig. They didn't take the team picture too serious. Let's see it. What are these guys doing? Look at these guys. I don't know which one is my favorite, but I got to tell you, there's a guy on the bottom right, and from my look at it, does he have half a stash? Does he have only half a stash on the right side of his face? That's hard. Uh, all right. That's half a stash. Look at the guy. Now, look, crazy upper left. 
The guy second from the left on top, they showed him getting a haircut and he legitimately used a bowl. The eyes upper right, the teeth upper right second. I don't know what third is. This is awesome. Do we have Luther Colleges too, the cross country team? This is fantastic. This, look at these guys. There we go. Uh, One guy, bottom left, his head is taking a hard right. And the guy got pigtails. We got a mountain man. We got high bun. We got left bun. You don't think this is going to become a thing? You don't think from now on coaches are like, ah, man. If I were a coach, I'd be like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Uh, Thad Mata told me one time, yeah, I don't major in minors. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I don't major in minors. I don't want to major in minors. So take whatever pictures you have. Do whatever you need to do. Can we put those two back up again? Do you mind? I think it's glorious. I do. Like, and everybody looks like they participate. Look at the guy in the bottom left. Now that's a stash. That's old school. You put a pipe hat on him, give him a cane. Hell yeah, he can run for office back in uh, 1826. It's a great picture. Thank you, Santa Clara. (laughs) Apparently, I'm going to Cambridge. I got to stop betting. (laughs) Man, oh man, I'm just sitting here doing a show. And next thing you know, we gots to go. All right, what do we got? I love this stuff. Now, see, this needs to start happening. There is nothing wrong with this. Jaguars beat the Chargers, and they beat them bad the other day. They didn't just beat them. They beat the living you-know-what out of them, all right? So let's have a look. Let's have a look at Chargers meet, or excuse me, of Jaguars media, Jaguars Twitter, after the game. Y'all got a Charger we could borrow? How good is that? Not to be outdone, the Eagles, Twitter, the Eagles beat up on their rival, the Washington Commanders. The Washington Commanders, well, here you go. (laughs) Oh, man, right in the center of their field. John Riggins is turning over in his grave, except he's not dead. Where's Joe Theismann, Sonny Jurgensen, Billy Kilmer? What are we doing? Mosley was the kicker. What are we doing? Like George Allen right now, hail to the Redskins. I know you're not allowed to say that, but it was the song for many, many years. And when I was a kid, we sang hail to the Redskins. Hey, what? Hail to the commanders, hail to the commanders, hail, hail, command. I don't know, but I know this, we need more of that. We need more NFL teams going at one another on Twitter. We need more NFL teams. We need more NFL teams going at it with their mascots. Here's my wife. I just spent $800. What the hell did I spend $800 on? Hotels in Cambridge are not cheap. Eek. Two I'm, 
I'm, two nights, $800. Where are we staying? The Ritz? No, that's the cheapest. It's the courtyard. Courtyard. If you're blue and you don't know where to go, why not go where fashion sits? At least staying at the Ritz. <laughs> Dang! How much of that was actual hotel and how much of that was taxes and fees? Yeah. A lot of taxes and fees. Yep. All right, looks like I'm door dashing this afternoon. If anybody has side work, Lee goes rogue with Dan's credit card. That's the headline right here, Lee. Just a bald-headed guy doing a little show. And no, you know what I need to stop? I need to stop notifications. What I don't know won't hurt me. There's no need to have a notification. It's a nice day here. It's a sunny day. It's a little cool. We're giving away bikes today. We're going to a community center, Hawthorne's Community Center downtown. We're going to give a bunch of bikes, helmets, and locks away to kids. It's one of my favorite days of the year. I get to talk to A-Doublelicious, Allison Williams. I'm going to get to talk to another one of my favorites, Gary Sheffield Jr., uh, I woke up, I was a little late today, sent a letter or a note to my agent. Good day, really good day. And then it hit me. I got to go door dashing for a couple hours, make a little extra money. Damn, it's hard being me. All right, speaking of uh, hard, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen here. Do you guys remember who Rachel Dolezal is? Now, the reason I remember Rachel Dolezal is, well, because frankly, I had a teacher in sixth grade named Mr. Dozel. Mr. Dozel um, hit me in the head one time, punched me in the head, all right? And my dad was a teacher, and, and Mr. Dozel was like 6'8", and he goes in to see me. He goes, hey, hit him wherever you want. Just don't hit him in the head. And he's like, yeah, you're right. So I always remember Mr. Dozel. But Rachel Dozel, Rachel Dozel is this. Rachel Dolz is an American former college instructor and activist known for presenting herself as a black woman despite having been born to white parents. She also claimed to be Native American. Now, Rachel Dozel is doing this. OnlyFans. Wow. I, I don't know what to say. Uh, several of her OnlyFans photos were leaked on the internet. Now, here's the deal. You are actually, I want you to think about this just for a second. Any of you that are on OnlyFans and you are uh, paying to see Rachel Dozel's tattoo on that ass, what are you doing? What's your life really about? Give some thought to those two questions. What are you doing? And what's your life really about? Now, look, I understand OnlyFans is very popular. I've told this story on this show before. My brother raises money for big-time projects, $250 million project he's currently raising money for in Michigan City, Indiana. He gets a call from an agent. The agent is not a sports agent, is not a Hollywood agent. The agent is the agent for some OnlyFans young ladies who, by all accounts, make, listen to this, up to and more than, in some cases, a million dollars a month. And they need to put their money somewhere. So they found out about my brother who is going around the country. Currently, he's in Prague. Uh, I don't know if he's raising money. I don't know. I have no idea. But he's in Prague. Uh... And they said, look, here's the deal. 
Let's go. We need some place to put our money. You need money. So my brother researched OnlyFans, and I think he decided, yeah, I don't need to be involved in this. Eh. I think Catholic guilt got him, although my brother is two things that I am not. He is never guilt, feels guilty, and he is never jealous. I have a tinge of jealousy, and I feel guilt. I think that's why I lost my hair. I think Catholic guilt did me in. So I get OnlyFans. I understand there are options, however, at OnlyFans. And you out there, Mr. OnlyFans guy, you decide that you're going to follow this woman. And let's be honest. And don't hit me up with, well, what are you saying? She's unattractive. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Because isn't OnlyFans a sexual attractive site? Isn't that the purpose of OnlyFans? I don't think you go to OnlyFans to learn the intellect of Rachel Dolezal or Hillary whomever or Hannah or Mercedes or Chesney or Jenny or Ginny or whatever. It is totally a appearance-based site. So if you are going to an appearance-based site and you have options as long as my arm and you choose this race-hustling buffoon as your OnlyFans person, I don't know what to tell you. And I don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't. Can we put that up again? And if you are somebody, I read this, so I'm, I'm doing a little research on this. So there is a mother, school teacher. She has, quote, been crying for days because what happened to Rachel Dozel here happened to her. And I'm thinking to myself, if you're going to take your clothes off and you're going to do it publicly, isn't the assumption, isn't there just a little bit of an assumption that somebody's going to take a picture and that picture is going to end up in the internet. For you older folks, the interweb. Nah, not dial up. It, it is amazing. So uh, we got this lady who, good for her, because I'm not going to lie to you, uh, I don't think that anybody would be talking about her. And I do agree with at T-Town Outlaw, she should get married to Sean King, a.k.a. Telcom X. <laughs> oh, man. Telcom X is my favorite nickname. That's another white dude that understands the world that we live in. Act African-American, be a victim, and next thing you know, you'll get hired. But what are we doing? What are we doing here? Rachel freaking Dozel, Sean King, stop it. And if you got, I'm going to ask Gary Sheffield. He's young. He's hip. When we come back, I'm going to ask Gary Sheffield Jr. Explain OnlyFans to me. Like if I'm sitting there parading this fat ass naked, like Rachel Dozel is, I got to assume that somebody is going to freeze the picture, take the picture, and put it on the internet. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a, hey, no picture policy. Yeah, pull this, it plays jingle bells. A teacher's crying because her OnlyFans picture got exposed. Shut the hell up. I, look, my brother told me this. 
my brother said, you know what? You should walk around as if you are always on camera. And the other day on the fifth hole of a golf course, my buddy and I stepped into the woods. He went over there. We didn't cross swords. He went over there. I went over here. I peed. I turned around. And the house behind us, about 100 yards, a lady's taking a picture. Live like everything you do is going to be posted is a bad way to live. I can't do it, but it's probably pretty smart. I got a young, hip, smart guy who, honest to God, said something that I didn't like. I loved the other day when the Braves met with the president. I also got to talk to him. Is Aaron Judge ever going to hit another home run? Are the Yankees any good? And what his thoughts are on OnlyFans. Let me ask you another question. Would anybody, anybody admit to having an OnlyFans account? Like, somehow, some way, as I just said, people have approached my brother to put money into a $250 million project he's doing in Northwest Indiana. Gary was one. We, he did one in Gary for about $300 million. Now he's doing one in Michigan because these women have so much money, almost more than actually, a million a month. But yet nobody in the world will admit that they subscribe to OnlyFans. If you subscribe to OnlyFans, at Dan Dockets, we'll be right back. Gary Sheffield Jr., looking forward to having this chat. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. You know, one of my favorite accounts to follow on Twitter is Gary Sheffield Jr. for a variety of reasons. One, uh, great information, you know, um, and two, I, I think he's an interesting guy with interesting points. And one of your points the other day, Gary, really caught my eye because I say this all the time. What a great country we, we live in when – we, one of our biggest concerns is the name of a freaking baseball team, the Braves. And you said it. We got so much going on in this country, and that's what we worry about? That's the topic our president discusses? I don't get it. Yeah, people really want to be underserved. It's just a good story. It's, it's the reason that ESPN, if you watch any NFL draft, any NBA draft, they're always telling us how somebody was underserved, underprivileged, and they can never seem to talk about anything good about the country. And this is the best country in the world. And people should know that when they watch a baseball broadcast, it should feel patriotic. It should feel like people are happy. And it doesn't feel like that. It should. And that's like an easy tweak that could be made with better leadership. And right now, it's just not coming from anywhere. You know what? I, I, I think this. I, I think victimhood sells. I do. I, I think if I'm not necessarily only victimhood, but um, angst. You, you know, I, I say this all the time. You know, it is okay to be okay. It is okay to be, you know, you're 27 to be successful. It's okay, you know, to have worked for something. Is it not? Yeah, but misery likes company. That's the thing. And nobody can gather around more miserable people in company than social media. You can essentially just tell people, hey, I'm living an unhappy life. And these words, which in this case is the Atlanta Braves, I don't know how seeing the Atlanta Braves is offensive. But one thing I know is that for one, these people haven't done a shred of research. The Braves did not start the Tomahawk chop. This came from, I believe, Florida State. Now, when this is 
when this is happening, these people don't know this information. They're just being told by various networks on the news to feel anxious, to feel like you said, to feel upset. And to be quite honest with you, they weren't thinking that when they were a teenager, when they were an early adult. These are things that are developed over time just watching the news. And once the news tells you that something's offensive or something is is really uh, a negative connotation towards people of, of our underprivileged communities, they're going to run with that. And it's clickable. People click it. I don't know why. But right now, I, and I told people this about a year ago, when they changed the Cleveland Indians to the Cleveland Guardians, we're just going to forget about it like it never happened. And Pandora's box is now open. Any sports team that's an offensive name to anybody is now subject to change. And we will have this never-ending, evolving sports reality that is having more to do with it. It just feels like the news now. Like where there's always something that we can get better. And people spend far less time talking about what they enjoy, what they like. And that's something we're just, we're doing. Where it's a habit now is where this generation has people um, 75, 60, 50, 40 years old now changing to us what hurts our feelings. This is not hurting the feelings of the under underprivileged. This is primarily liberal white men that are upset about this, and it has nothing to do with anybody else. There's absolutely no question about it. I mean, white guys are so scared right now. White guys are so trying. I always say, man, you're trying really hard. I would just be a decent person to everybody. Not, you know, and I will say this, like in my state, in Indiana, there are very different places. I grew up in Gary, Indiana, which is, you know, a melting pot. My father was at school, was a principal at a, at a Gary school that had everybody. I mean, everybody except rich people, I always say. There were no rich people there, but you name a culture, right. Serbian, Mexican, African, I mean, uh, but there are differences. But the, the, thing that, the thing that I learned, and I'm going to do this today, uh, I give away bikes. And today we're going to give away about 40 bikes at a community center in uh, downtown Indianapolis. And the thing you just said is so true. Um, kids like, I don't want to say like that, but kids in that community, they don't give a rat's ass about any of this stuff. They're happy to have a damn bike. They're, they're living life. They're, they're, they have more important things to worry about, their families do, than whether or not the freaking Atlanta Braves or whether the word is offends. I, you see what I'm saying? I, I see it every freaking day when I drive downtown. Every day I see it. Yeah, the Atlanta Braves, and we're talking about a name, a nickname. That's not anything tangible that's going to help someone's life. You change the Atlanta Braves to the to the fairies, whatever you want to call it, something that is as the least amount of divisiveness possible. It does not matter what you change their name to. For people that that's considered offensive to or towards, that's not affecting their life in any positive way. They're not going to be hired at a job because the name changed. They're not going to get a raise at work because that, due to, infl you know, with inflation going on, it's not going to get you a raise at work. Nothing tangible about your life is going to improve. And when it comes down to it and you're an adult and you're supposed to have a 401k, you're supposed to have all these things set up, all these little details that we've now changed, all these little minute details back when you were 20 and 30 years old, you turn around and you realize I've got nothing. All these things they told me were important aren't important. 
It didn't help me retire. It didn't help me put food on the table. These are things that real Americans need to be worrying about, not whether or not the Cleveland Indians are changing their logo or if they're still selling their hats at the team store. We don't need to know if this is happening. If you're reading the Cleveland Indians won a game and you're thinking anything other than baseball, you don't enjoy baseball. You're a politician that's trying to interfere with sports. That's all it is. I, that's very well said. Uh, I'm going to get into something that you said on Twitter. You said that the Toronto, <laughs> the Toronto Blue Jays, karma's going to bite them. They're not doing anything in the postseason because they walked judge so many times. I believe in that kind of stuff. I'm a big believer in that tweet. Yeah, I'm a... Of course, I'm joking because the Toronto Blue Jays, they're trying to give it a last ditch effort, but it's its really stinks just watching this race because nobody wants to pitch this guy. And I was thinking that for the past like month and a half. I'm like, this guy is on pace to hit 70 homers. At some point, you have to just make everybody else beat you. And we're finally seeing that. Nobody see. It seems like nobody wants to give up number 60. I believe it's 61 right now. Nobody wants to give up number 61. And what's funny is that it was so different than the Albert Pujols chase because Albert Pujols was on his last hurrah. Everyone's wondering when it, whether or not he's going to run out of time. And I'm like, I would have no problem giving up number 61, Aaron Judge, because nobody really cares if you gave up a bomb to Aaron Judge. That's just the way it is, and you're always going to be etched in history. And I would love that, and I want to see history do I want to necessarily know that somebody gave up a home run on purpose? No, not really. But the idea of pitching to him and let, just seeing if he can make history, that to me is interesting. And to a sport that's being less interesting to America more than it's ever been, I would like to see a little shot in the arm. I, I remember Al Downing. L. Downing gave up Henry Aaron's 715th home run. L. Down Jack Billingham gave up number 714. And the only reason that I remember those two guys, one, I thought L. Downing was really cool the way he pitched. He had a big leg extension, and uh, Billingham did it on national TV, I think the first game of the year. So I remember those two. But I'm with you. If I'm pitching, I'm not going to let him do it, but I'm not walking him. Like, again, right. um, it, it, I, I, you, you beat me, you beat me. But I think, how do I put this right? I, I think you owe it to win the game first. I do get that. But I also think baseball, and you can talk to this better than I, baseball is so history-driven. The history of the game is, is permeates it that I would feel an obligation – Assuming it didn't cost me the game, I would feel an obligation to throw uh, strikes or pitch to this guy in a manner with which doesn't walk him, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, baseball is just, like, it's really interesting. We're, we, are a, we are a narrative and numbers game. When people look back on history, they want to know, okay, this guy hit X batting average. His ops was X. He hit this many home runs. And they use those numbers to now put it on the back of your baseball card and create a value for you at the end. That's not like, it's not like that in football where we care about Tom Brady's seven Super Bowl championships or Dan Marino, the fact that he wasn't able to win. We don't, we don't look at baseball that way. We look at it as an, 
from an individual standpoint. We put Mike Trout on a pedestal because of his individual stats. So when you see guys playing so well that now they're putting fear into the other pitchers to the point where it's almost like the back of the baseball card is nullified. He's not even really playing baseball right now. He walked three times yesterday, three times the day before. He's walked like 25 times since his last home run. It's it's mind-boggling the reaction that pitchers are giving him. I totally understand it. I get it. And I was worried that it would happen because the more afraid these pitchers are, the less pitches in the zone he's going to see all year and the more pressure there's going to be. Because when you start seeing that there's six, five, four games left in the season and you have to hit a home run, people don't understand how difficult it is to hit a home run. I played college baseball. When people are like, yeah, you need to do this on this at bat. Doing that is incredibly difficult, especially when the pitcher's quite literally trying to get you to not do that one thing. So I feel for Aaron Judge. I just want to see guys challenge him and see if he can rise up to it. I said the other day, and I'm curious your reaction. I said the other day, Aaron Judge is the best role model in sports right now. He bet on himself. He showed, you know what, I, I, I am better than what they're offering me, and he did it. And I think he handles everything around him. You know, I don't know if Jeter was the best role. I don't know. But I know this. I, I, I've said Judge is the best role model in all of sports. What's your take on that? No, I think it's a nice sentiment. Uh, it's, I agree with it 100% with the point you're making. I just feel like nobody that plays professional sports should be my role model, which is why I don't lean to them in politics. I don't lean to the professional athletes in anything. So the reality is they are entertainers and they understand that there's a respect there. And I just don't take them that serious. But in terms of the point you're making, yes, Aaron Judge does exactly what we're supposed to do. And you don't like something at work, we'll work even harder and and see if it'll, you know, see if it'll improve and and make, you know, make somebody feel your presence. If you're going to offer me 230 million, I know I'm worth 300 million. I'm going to put pressure on you. In a contract year, I'm going to go break Roger Maris's record at home. Then now what? And that's the way professionals do business. They don't sit on the sidelines, maybe hold out. They're not doing all that mess. Aaron Judge is like, yeah, I'll let my bat speak. You think I'm injury prone? I'll play 150 games. He did everything that they said he potentially couldn't. And now everybody is pretty much unanimous. You have to pay this guy. And if you don't, we'll congratulate somebody else because this dude won this whole negotiation. When, when when you look at baseball right now, all right, and there's a series, and I love this. When I was a kid, man, I remember, and maybe I was in high school, I remember saying, screw it, I'm not going to a, a dance. I'm going home and I'm watching the Yankees take on the Red Sox, um, the Yankees take on the Dodgers. Um, do we have that? It, it, ESPN's doing a series right now of the Dodgers and the Yankees, and Reggie Jackson became all of our – uh, all-time favorite, and we all, when we played in the sandlot, somebody was Billy Martin and had to yell and scream. It was just what we did. We copied stuff. Does baseball right. have that right now? And Aaron Judge, um, I, I feel like... No, 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 no. Does they have that type of rivalry right now? No. No. They're, baseball, let me tell you, baseball, in terms of rivalry, it's not as angry anymore. There used right. to be teams that hated each other. And this is not so long ago. This is 15 years ago when my dad played the Boston Red Sox in 04 and ended up, you know, of course, they ended up blowing a 3-0 series lead. There was genuine dislike 
they they liked they respected each other as men and and they all got that but when it came to the field it was they really didn't like each other and i i'm not even here to say that you know this generation is so soft and that's really not my take my take is that social media has made it easier to really extend an olive branch to your enemy and say okay let me understand this guy better it's just a lack of understanding when you don't like somebody like you really can't stand somebody it's a lack of understanding for the most part you go to high school and somebody that you absolutely hated you get to know him after high school and you go you're actually not as bad as i thought you were that's just because you got to know the guy that's really the reality there and that's what baseball was that's when sports were at their best was when nobody was talking to each other you played between the lines you you everything was all round up bound up and then you leave and that stuff just accumulates and then you come right back down to that that hate is still there that attitude is still there that's not in sports today so no i don't think with social media you're gonna see any of the same rivalry i just think in general people are way too in close of contact it's too easy to become friends now where because i can tell you right now if you went into the 1950s into the you know 1970s and handed them twitter people would be friends you know, people are going to be more likely to be friends then than they were without it. And that's just what social media has done. It's made us, um, I wouldn't say it made us more likable. We're more, obviously more polarized, but we have an ability to be like, oh, I can't stand that guy. Well, that guy can just text me. That That's changed sports in overall. You know, to your point, I mean, I remember going to a Cubs game and Jim Leland uh, and Rich Donnelly had, had my buddy and I, we became friends with Rich and we were, and this was only, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, and they had to be careful because one of their players, I forget who it was, was going to beat the hell out of somebody on the Cubs. You know what I mean? Like something had happened the night before. That still happens, all right? Yeah. Personal things, maybe something had on a field. But to the bigger point, and I'm going to go back to your dad, was your, would your dad have been comfortable hanging out around the cage or going from his dugout to the other dugout in a big series against the Red Sox when he was with the Yankees, would he have been comfortable having a normal, nice conversation pregame with somebody that was on the Red Sox? I would say he would. Um, he was pretty cordial with – there was a lot of guys, of course, that you know individually that you talk to. But when it really comes down to it and you're in the heat of battle and you're in a game five, game six, you know, crucial games in the series. No, the, the idea that you're just going to go stand out front of their clubhouse and just wait and then just chalk it up for 25 minutes, because that's something that guys can do today. And don't get me wrong. If I was in professional sports, if I was in the NBA and and I'm playing, you know, I'm on the Phoenix Suns. We're in the Western Conference finals. I see a player that I'm friends with. You know, I'm going to talk to him. That's just human nature. That's how we are as people. But when, you know, without social media, you just have less friends, less people that you're cordial with. And when everybody's cordial with you, you can kind of just walk in and out. So no, to answer your question, if my dad played today, it's like, yeah, it's more likely he would go have a conversation with players that he's fond with in that locker room. But back in the day, it's like, well, let's hold off on that till we leave here. That, that's kind of the mentality. And don't get me wrong, there weren't that many players that my dad's just like kumbaya with. But the idea of friendship and, and how rivalry, it's almost like it keeps your friendship at bay. You can't come over here and show that friendship. 
that is that is something that was present. And it's something that all the players respected until now we have a camera everywhere in someone's phone. There's eyeballs pretty much on every wall, it feels like. So um, now things are a lot less separated. By the way, congratulations. You got engaged this uh, this summer. And so I'm sure you don't know about this, but I was talking about OnlyFans. Uh, you looked it up. What is OnlyFans? You looked this up for me. What What, what is it? Yeah, so the purpose of OnlyFans, according to their website, is to provide a platform for creators to create and distribute valuable premium content that they can't get anywhere else. Now, I know none of us watch porn, but um, they're trying to tell me that you cannot get this content anywhere else. And last I checked on you know some of the most popular websites in the world, you can look at naked women naked just about anything and free of charge absolutely free the difference between only fans really the website won't tell you this is that you can kind of be a weirdo and stand in the corner and be like hey why don't you do this for me essentially only fans is just being a portable talk to a bull stripper that's nationwide that's what it is and by the way I don't fault anybody for joining OnlyFans, you know, fine, you know, don't want my significant other doing it. But if somebody's going to look at a paycheck for a million dollars a month, you know, who am I to say you, know, you shouldn't exercise that right for that business? Because I can tell you right now, if if somebody called, if somebody called unanimously or um, yeah, if someone called uh, Clay Travis right now and said, hey, I'll pay you a million dollars a month to post pictures of your hands for people to look at on OnlyFans he'd probably be calling tomorrow. And that's just the reality of it. If someone wants to call me and make the same offer, I'll be there. But the reality is it's a lot of money we're talking about. I don't think people realize there was such a market for this, but there's a lot of creepy people out there that will never admit to only an, only an, uh, on OnlyFans. But the reality is there's a lot of people on this earth. And at some point or another, we find markets we never knew existed. And once it's found, it's never going away. So OnlyFans is here to stay. You know what I did? I thought my, my brother, when he when when he got the call from an agent, he said, hey, do you know what OnlyFans is? I said, yeah, I think it's that site where athletes post articles. And he looked, and that that's something else. I don't know what that's called. That That's like, that, that's it's another a player's, site, tribune. player's Tribune, I think. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm like. Yeah, isn't that it? It's like, you know, and he's like, no, you idiot. And he's you know, he wanted to smack me in the head, and he started telling me. Uh, who wins, who's in the World Series? Who do we got? I'm going Houston and the Dodgers. God, actually, you know what? I'm going to go Houston and Atlanta. That's who I'm going in the World Series again. And I think Houston's going to win this year. Because Atlanta. the reality to me – yeah, the, go ahead on Atlanta – well, Atlanta's an amazing story because we always talk about, you know, football, it's players, not plays. All of a sudden, Freddie Freeman's gone. And right. look at Atlanta, right? I, hey, look, same thing with Houston. I mean, the shortstop, Cabre uh, Correa, he's gone. Right. I, it, culture kind of matters in baseball. Now, obviously, it, you know, the Dodgers have a, have a hell of a lineup and a hell of a pitching staff. But, man, Atlanta's a great story what's happening there. 
Yeah, no, Atlanta's a great story. But one thing that people need to pay attention to is that, yes, they got rid of Freddie Freeman. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, the beat just went marching on and it was just no problem. The common denominator for me was not, oh, okay, a guy's going to be high paid. Let's just get rid of him, find a cheaper asset. That to me is not the common denominator. For the Braves, that common denominator is development. And that doesn't mean that every organization needs to prioritize that because it's about spending. The the less you spend, the more you got to develop. It's just the way it is. The Braves found this happy medium and they have a great GM. So they understand when to take risks. They pay players. And this is very unique to really their organization only. They pay players while they're performing. They pay them early. They don't try to get them for free early and then say they performed this. They gave us this output. Let's give them this paycheck. And that's how you see guys in like on the New York Yankees, like Aaron Hicks making 70 million for what he did back in 2017. You start seeing people say, well, Aaron Judge just hit 60, however many home runs. He's going to break Roger Maris's record. And now all of a sudden, let's pay him X. They see a product and then they pay you later. The Atlanta Braves pay players early. And they get out the door. They basically just send guys packing if they want to get paid for what they did two years ago. And the Atlanta Braves have an understanding of how to develop. They know exactly what they're doing on that front. And in my opinion, I would have loved to see Freddie Freeman back because Matt Olson has been pretty underwhelming in Atlanta so far. But overall, there's so much more to an organization than just one poor roster move. There's so much going on positive in Atlanta that it's outweighing what that one mistake that they made this offseason. So, no, credit to them, credit to their GM. But that Braves organization and their fans, they know they have an edge on the Mets. It doesn't matter what the Mets do. The Braves feel like they can go into New York, they go into a uh, postseason series, or late in season they can run them down. They just feel that way. And that's um, that's the habit of a great organization. Well said, my friend. Gary, thanks for the time, man. Appreciate you. Keep doing great work. Dan, thank you. And by the way, I saw your I saw your last segment and they're like, yeah, if you're a if you're if you're a minority and you act underprivileged, you'll get a raise. So let me know when I should uh when I should start complaining. I think I think um how would I put this right? I, I think you're doing pretty good. I appreciate you, Dan. I appreciate you. No, as long you as you're calling it, me young, Thank you. like you did on the show. Young and hip. Don't forget the hip. Please don't forget the hip. Hip is important. Like to old guys, we used to say the word hip a lot. Right. You know what? That's hip. You know, so hip is still in the vernacular of, you know, guys my age. So don't stop. Please. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. <sighs> oh, that's Gary Sheffield Jr. Uh Follow him. He's great follow. All right, who's woke dope today? Who we got? What do we got? Who's driving us crazy? Uh, let's end the show with a woke dope. Look, just, you know, victimhood sells. Anybody that doesn't think victimhood sells is crazy. But anyway, it does. It does, and it will, and uh, it will continue. So there you go. Uh, we got any woke dope? Oh. Hold on. Hang on, caller. Uh, one sec. I got to go to the bathroom. I'm going to move it out here so that I can get off as soon as we're done with the Woka Dope. I'm moving back so I can make a little beeline right there. 
uh, to the bathroom. All right, there we go. Uh-oh. Oh, these things suck. I hate these things. I do. Honest to God, we're tucking dollars at schools with little kids. What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Why are we tucking dollars? Why are we having drag shows? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Have a great afternoon. Catch me on 107.5. Thanks to everybody. Dockage out.